Uh, I wonder how uh, you think you would best progress in the Christian life. How would you go forward with God? Uh, Or put it this way, what's the thing that you think that if you just got that sorted out, or you might think if Holy Trinity Church just got that sorted out, then, then my relationship with God would be so much better. What's that thing? That if that was just sorted out, that would really help me with my relationship with God, to be nearer to him and closer to him and a, a better disciple. I was reflecting over uh, things that people um, talk about in this sort of answer, in an answer to that question. Uh, I'll come up with five. Um, some people, uh, were, I've often over the years, people have said to me, uh, spending, being able to spend more time appreciating creation, that would really make my relationship with God better. Uh, others, just having more opportunity to do good works, to help people. Uh, Others will talk about Christian music, Uh, whether that's in church or private listening. If that's right, then I'm close, I I know I'm close to God, if that's right. Or spending time with Christian friends. If I could just get that sorted out, that would bring me near to God. Or routine, if only there was a routine. Sometimes you get that from young moms. I've no idea why. But if just a routine could be in place, then I'd be close. I'd be able to be close to God. When one or other of those things is in place, I'm so much closer to God, we say. Well, as we come to Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has been healing and Uh, He's been healing all sorts of people. He's been feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And he's been walking on water. And some people have been listening to what he's had to say. And they've been understanding him more as they've listened. And some people haven't listened to what he's had to say. This has all been happening up in the north of the country of of, uh, present-day Israel up in Galilee. But news has spread and a delegation from Jerusalem in the south arrives. Verse 1, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And if there's one thing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law knew, it was that when it comes to God and people, Purification of the people is really, really important because of the absolute purity and holiness of God. Purification, really, really important. There are chapters and chapters in the Old Testament law about purifying people so that they're acceptable to God. And these guys, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are the experts. Truly, if you wanted to know about purification before God, they are the top city lawyers that you go and ask. 
And from the Old Testament, uh, two things become apparent. This is what they would know. Firstly, the nearer you get to God, the more purity you need. Uh, You'll know that God in the Old Testament symbolically dwelt in the temple or the tabernacle before that. And the high priest needed more purity than anybody else because he got closest once a year in the most holy place right in the middle of the temple. So the high priest has more purification rituals than anybody else in the Old Testament. Next out from him are the priests generally. They're next closest. They need purification rituals, not quite as many as the high priest, but they need more than the Levites, who were the general dog's bodies who looked after the temple and carried things around and organised stuff. And the Levites needed more purification than your average everyday Israelite. As you go from Israelite to Levite to priest to high priest, each of them gets more purification than than the one before. Because the nearer you get to God, the more purity you need. The second thing. Where the defilement comes from changes the purification that you need. Certain things could happen in the uh, Old Testament which meant you couldn't draw near to God. It didn't matter if you were a priest or a Levite or whoever. Certain things meant you couldn't draw near to God at all. You were defiled. That's what being defiled meant. You must be kept away from the holy, the pure things. Now, if you were defiled, I'm going to have trouble. I've, got, <laughs> I've copied and pasted, so things are going to disappear and it's going to be tricky to get this right, but we'll see what we do. Okay. Um, if you were defiled by something outside your body, then purification was pretty simple. Uh, you just have to wash, and it would take until evening, about a day, to get it sorted out. So that's stuff that's outside of you. That might be something that you've eaten. Uh, it might be coming um, into contact with um, uh, a dead body through eating or touching Pretty simple to deal with. Purification could be dealt with. But if you were defiled by something out uh, from inside your body, then the purification uh, rules in the Old Testament were much more elaborate. There would be washing, but there'd also be sacrifice. And it could take a week, or it could take weeks, or it could take months. So the things from, uh, that come from outside, quite simple to deal with, but if, if uh, defilement came from inside, so that's like, you can read about it all in Leviticus, bodily emissions, some of those, or the kind of skin disease where, where it's coming out from inside, there are loads of laws about those, but much more elaborate, elaborate purification needed than stuff that comes from outside the body. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have got hold of these trees. These are the the things they were expert in. 
Jesus later in Matthew says, listen to what they tell you about the Old Testament. And they were the people who decided that they should be as pure as possible. They took the Old Testament practice very, very seriously, but they wanted to be as pure as possible. And so they added things on top of all those Old Testament traditions. And this is what Jesus means, or this is what they mean when they talk about the tradition of the elders. They developed an extensive tradition beyond the details of the Old Testament with all sorts of washings and cleansings and you had to wash everything and twice and at various times on the day, all sorts of washings and cleansings. And that was part of their wholehearted attempt to be as pure and as clean as possible for the God who needed them to be as pure and as clean as possible. It's a wholehearted attempt to deal with purity before God. These are the traditions of the elders. And in some ways it sort of split the men from the boys. Who were the really serious people about purity? And it's these experts. They were in it completely to be clean before God. So when they hear the reports of Jesus and they come up from Jerusalem, well, Jesus can't possibly be one of the great men. He must just be one of the boys who doesn't take this seriously enough because he's not getting purity right before God. He's not getting it right, they say. Look at his disciples. Look at the kind of disciples he's producing. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. That is not a hygiene thing, okay? So if you're sitting here thinking, great, never have to wash my hands before I eat. Keep washing your hands for hygiene reasons. But don't bother washing your hands for purity before God reasons. Religious reasons, if you like. That's what they're talking about. How can Jesus be serious about purity if he produces disciples who are this defiled? Well, Jesus comes out and launches a full-on counterattack to the Pharisees. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition?" It cuts straight across their thinking. They think that their extra efforts help and support their purity and it's an extra step in the right direction. And Jesus says you're totally wrong. They're a step, even a leap, in the wrong direction. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? They're not an extra effort to help and support your purity. They're undermining and working against God's word. You're not keeping God's word 
by doing these things. And Jesus gives them a brilliant example of how they do this. Uh, Verse 4, the command is clear. It's the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honour your father and mother. And then there's a second commandment which shows how seriously we should take the first one. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Straight out of the Old Testament. The commands of God. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would agree. These are the commands of God. And they're a mark of devotion to God, keeping these commands. But just as they do in purification, they want to take an extra step in devotion to God. So they've set up this tradition where you can set all of your resources to one side for God. Everything that you have, you set it aside for God. And if you do that, and you can't get it back, well, what an act of devotion to God that is. What a commitment to God, what a sacrifice that is. Only a great man of God would put everything inside and say, that is for God directly. Except if you do that, you can no longer honour your father and mother as you should, Jesus says. So if you do that, if you take that extra step, you can no longer obey the command of God, honour your father and mother. So Jesus concludes thus, halfway through verse 6, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. See where Jesus has taken the conversation? The discussion started with a particular question about purity, washing hands, before God. Jesus widens that to a discussion about more general devotion to God in his example. And then he finishes by dismantling their entire life, worship and teaching. They are the opposite of what they think they are. They're hypocrites, Jesus says. And what the unnullified word of God actually says to them is that they are nowhere near God. And nothing that they teach and nothing that they do carries any authority from God. Hypocrites, far from me, in vain, merely human rules. It's a devastating response from Jesus to this delegation. It is a full-on counter-attack. To those who are trying to take every extra step in the right direction to God, extra pure, extra devoted, they're actually taking steps in the wrong direction. It's empty. 
Now, I don't know if that makes you feel pretty uncomfortable. And we might think we're trying to take every step that we can. What if we're actually going in the wrong direction and don't realise it? Just like the well-meaning Pharisees. What if we're progressing the wrong way? The Pharisees had added lots more washing and all sorts of other stuff. This may take some time. They'd added all sorts of extra stuff. But they were going in completely the wrong direction. Finally there. What we want to do is go in the right direction as we follow Jesus. Not following the arrow of the Pharisees. And Jesus has more to say to help us to do just that. Verse 10. He calls the crowd to him, invites them and us to make progress with him. Listen and understand. And then he tells this parable. It's just a verse. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. When I first read that, my immediate thought was, food goes in, vomit comes out. That's, that's the natural kind of reference that's being made, isn't it? When you read it. And I thought, well, other things come out of our mouth as well. Yeah, words come out, and breath comes out. What does Jesus mean? Well, anyway, he leaves it there, says no more. This is how parables work. They don't in themselves make things clear, but they do reveal who is eager to learn from Jesus. And it's the disciples who are keen to listen and understand from Jesus. So in verse 12, they come with a question to Jesus concerning the Pharisees, and in verse 15, Peter seeks an explanation of the parable. Any approach like that Jesus will always reward. Still true today. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Got a weird, weird sentence parable that Jesus has told? Don't get it? Eagerly seek him. Which is what the disciples do. If you are truly eager to learn from Jesus, you will not be disappointed. He helps us in the right direction. And in answer to the question concerning the Pharisees, Jesus says in verses 13 and 14, in effect, yes, you will never make progress with them. Leave them alone. You will never make progress with them. Um, I don't know if you remember, uh, well, it's a while ago now, uh, the parable of the weeds, which Jesus told in chapter 13. So all this language in verses uh, 13 and 14 here of uh, planting and leaving and pulling up, well, here's what Jesus said explaining the parable of the weeds. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, 
And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Jesus is uh, expanding on that parable in our passage. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted, so a plant that is not planted by the heavenly Father, according to the parable, has been planted by the evil one, will be pulled up by the roots. There will be a harvest. But you remember one of the important things about the parable of the weeds is that, is that the wheat and the weeds stay together until the final harvest. They will be pulled up, but they're not going to be pulled up now. You are to leave them alone now, which is what Jesus says, leave them. Verse 14. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. The Pharisees are weeds not planted by the Father, but by the evil one. See, Jesus takes the conversation even further for those eager to learn. From purific- a small question about purification to devotion to the whole life, worship and teaching of the Pharisees from the evil one himself, Jesus teaches. They will be pulled up at the end at the harvest at the end of the age. That means there are constant danger for God's people throughout the whole history of the church. But for, So for now, leave them alone. They are no use to you at all. They cannot help you see or understand. They are blind guides. You will never make any progress with their approach. Who would have thought that? A desire to take an extra step in purity would be one of the evil one's greatest weapons in deceiving people and sending them far away from God. Any addition to God's commandments, you must do this to be acceptable to God. You must do this and you must do it this way if you really want to be acceptable to God. When people command us to do things beyond the commands of God's word, the Bible, we should just turn around and say, you're a blind guide. No point in following you. I think Peter gets this. He, doesn't, he still doesn't understand the parable, but he, he, he's, he's looking at what's going on. He said, well, I definitely can't go that way then. I definitely can't go that way with the Pharisees. So I'm going to have to go the way of Jesus. So I don't understand the parable. Explain the parable, Jesus, then at least I might have a chance of going the right way. It's, it's almost like the Lord save me that Peter spoke last week as he's beginning to sink in the lake. Lord save me, explain the parable. Well, Jesus says, are you so dull? Don't you see? I don't think Jesus is impatient there. 
I think he's reinforcing our dependence on him for understanding and his willingness to give it. And here's his answer. Verse 17, it's not things from outside that you need to worry about. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? It's not things from outside you need to worry about, but what's already inside. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. In fact, it's what is as far inside us as possible that is the problem. It's our hearts. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. So it includes our thoughts. It's very helpful how Peter prayed for us. Uh, Sorry, he, uh, he, he led us in our prayers. Uh, this morning he talked about our thoughts when we said sorry and he talked about the things that we did well they're the next things aren't they in verse 19 for out of the heart come evil thoughts and then the things that can be done murder adultery sexual immorality and theft the sixth seventh eighth and ninth commandment sixth seventh and eighth sorry adultery and sexual immorality counted for one Sixth, seventh, and eighth commandments. But also our words, false testimony, the ninth commandment, and slander. I think slander includes there things we might say about God, taking his name in vain, the third commandment. It certainly includes nullifying the word of God. Thoughts. Here's the problem as Jesus outlines it. From your heart, thought, deed, and word. Obviously, it's what Jesus means by those things that counts. He's already taught us that hatred is akin to murder, that um, lust is akin to adultery. Coveting, presumably, then, is akin to stealing. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. These, verse 20, are what defile a person. Eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile them when the problem is that deep. I wonder if you've ever thought of yourself like that. This is what Jesus teaches anyone who is eager to listen to him. It's the first step forward that Jesus wants people to make. When we're thinking about being pure before God, our problem is who we are in our deepest selves. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because we all have a tendency to do the opposite, I think. If there's some hurdle to get over or some exam to pass or some standard to reach, we'll say, you've done everything you can, it'll be okay. 
But when Jesus is quizzed on being purified for God, he says, you've got no chance. You in your deepest self are defiled. You might be able to change your diet, your washing habits, your clothes. You might spend more time in creation. You might do some good works. You might enjoy listening to music. You might commit to Christian friends. You might get yourself a great routine. But it won't make any difference because outside stuff can't help with this problem. See, this is in fact exactly what the Old Testament purification laws pointed to. That's what Jesus is saying. If the Pharisees had read the Old Testament uh, purification passages properly, they, they wouldn't have been encouraged to add lots and lots of rules and practices to make sure they were super clean. If they'd read them properly, they would have been encouraged to look look much more deeply inside themselves and know the corruption of their own hearts. The trajectory of the Old Testament purification laws is not up like the Pharisees' arrow, just do more and more of the little purification rites. The trajectory of the purification laws in the Old Testament is down to show that where the defilement comes from changes the purification you need. And we discover that the, that the defilement comes from our heart. So what could possibly be the purification that we need? Where is that going to come from? If the most elaborate purification in the Old Testament doesn't deal with the problem... Our hearts are evil. It's the obvious question that Jesus leaves hanging at the end of the passage, isn't it? Is there any purification available for that kind of defilement? For a heart that produces evil thoughts? And if so, what might it be? And will it be enough ever to get us close to the pure and holy God? Then we remember why Jesus has the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins of thought and deed and word. And he also said, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's difficult to read this passage and not think that Jesus is telling us, yes, you're poor in spirit in yourself. But blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in the next few chapters, he's going to predict his death three times and declare that he will give his life as a ransom for many and then specifically say that his blood, my blood, he says, is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Here is the most elaborate act of purification. Jesus' own blood. Shed once. Necessary because nothing else could reach to our hearts. Effective because it's his blood. Shed once. It is done. Here's Hebrews 9. 
the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. You can read about it all in the Old Testament. It's one of the more elaborate purification rites. um, On those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. Well, that doesn't solve the issue. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, when he died on the cross, cleanse our consciences inside from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. The point of being near to God is to serve him. That's what being a priest is all about in the Old Testament. And all Christian people are priests, therefore. Cleansed by the blood inside to serve the living God. And again, A chapter later, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, purified enough to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way brought to us by Jesus that wasn't there in the Old Testament, opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled. That's with blood. His blood. To cleanse us from a guilty conscience inside and having our bodies washed through pure water. Nothing more to be done nothing to add eventually we'll get there there we are nothing more to be done nothing more to add it's finished if you were worried about having a heart like this Jesus wants us to know the real problem because here is the real cleansing Jesus is saying, you see, the Old Testament law points to me. It helps you recognise the real problem. Outside, inside, really inside. And I'm the real purification you need. So because of that, all that passes away. That's why those Old Testament laws, don't, we just don't take any notice of them anymore in the sense of doing them. Because that's not the defilement we need to worry about. Food or touching dead bodies or having skin diseases. None of those practices are needed. And in the same way, there's nothing else that can bring us close to God except the blood of Jesus. And we get things in the wrong order sometimes. So spending time in creation doesn't purify your heart. Only the blood of Jesus does that. And that is done. Doing good works doesn't purify your heart and get you near to God. Only the purification of Jesus' blood does that. The right music doesn't purify your heart 
and get you close to God. Being with Christian brothers and sisters doesn't purify your heart. Much as I love you, you are unable to purify my heart. Routine doesn't purify our hearts. Nor do particular kinds of church services, nor do lots of ritual washings and cleansings. None of these things can bring us near to God because none of them bring any purification. Now, we may all enjoy all these things, but only as people who know that Jesus' blood alone has already brought us near. That's the right order. So what do you think you need? What's the one thing that if it was sorted, if I just had that, then my relationship with God would be uh, sorted? Well, there it is on the screen. Jesus' own blood shed for you. Everything we need to be as near to God as it is possible to be. So don't leave today thinking, right, now I'm going to sort out my Christian life. That's what I'm going to do this week and it will all be well. No, leave today with an overwhelming thankfulness for the blood of Jesus shed for you. Done, finished and completed. And with that thankfulness in place, with that understanding in place, with knowing that you've been brought near, then you can plan whatever you want for your week. Musically, creationally, all sorts. But leave today with an overwhelming thankfulness for the blood of the Lord Jesus 